If you're new here this morning, one thing I'd like you to know is that we actually cry a lot up here. So that was nothing unusual. And this morning we're going to do something a little bit different. So we're going to start by having Ashley and Elvis come up and just read through the sections of scripture that we're going to be talking about this morning. And then as I'm going through my sermon, we're going to draw on those sections. So please meditate on this as they're, as they're speaking. There's three sections that they're going to be reading through, one, one time in English and one in Spanish. Okay, so this morning, I'm going to share a little bit about what God's been teaching us. And how he's been working in my heart, my wife's heart. And my hope is that it would be an encouragement to you. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for this morning, God. Thank you for this body of believers, Lord, who are gathered together, Father. God, let us hear your word and be doers of it, Father. God, let it change us. Let it go deep down inside, Father. God, I pray that we wouldn't just hear the word and do nothing, Lord. Help us to be a people of faith who take steps of faith for you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. When I was in the 10th grade, I had American history. And we spent like three months studying about World War I. And it was incredibly boring. And I remember one day, the high school professor goes, we're going to watch a movie today about World War I. I thought, this is going to be good. It's going to be interesting. And the movie, which I'll never forget, was about this young kid in Australia. And he was training to be an Olympic athlete. His entire life, everything he was about was about making it to the Olympics. And his father was his coach. His father was his trainer. And before he'd run, his dad would tell him, How fast are you? And the son would say, Fast as a leopard. How fast are you going to run? Fast as a leopard. How fast are you? Fast as a leopard. How fast are you going to run? Fast as a leopard. And he'd get pumped up. And he'd go out there and he'd win. And then World War I starts. All of his friends, everybody he knows, joined the military. And his dad's begging him, don't do this. You have a future. God's gifted you. You're going to die. He tells his dad, I'm going to join. And he goes off and joins the military. Fast forward to the end of the movie. There's that young boy sitting in a trench. On the other side of his trench, is the German army. And there's guys with big machine guns just waiting for those young men to come out over the trench. And they're divided up into groups. He's in group number four, maybe. And the captain's sitting in the trench. Gets his whistle ready. Group one, get ready! These young men put their bayonets on, hold their guns. People are throwing up, afraid. He blows that whistle. Go! Wave one goes over the edge. Gun down. 
last maybe 30 seconds. Okay, wave two, you're up, get ready. Spin line up. Wave two, up and over, gun down. Wave three, you're up. Blow the whistle again. Up and over, shot dead. Here comes wave four. Here's this young kid sitting in the trench. He's crouched down, he's telling himself, how fast are you? Fast as a leopard. How fast are you going to run? Fast as a leopard. Captain blows the whistle. He climbs up over that hill. He runs as fast as he can. And he winds up dying. Right, he meets his death in the, in the middle of nowhere on a battlefield. And I've thought back on that over the years. It stuck with me. How does somebody have the courage to get out of that trench? How does somebody have the guts deep down when that captain blows that whistle to run over the edge knowing that there's a guy who's going to gun you down in a matter of seconds? Where does that come from? And I've thought about, if that were me, guys blowing the whistle, would I be able to go over the edge? I'd probably run the other way. Now, in the same way, as we come to this book, you see people taking huge steps of faith, don't you? You see people going to their death, climbing over that hill for Jesus. And I've wondered, what if God were to ask me to do something like that? To take this huge step of faith where I know I'm going to meet my death. When it really comes down to it, would I have the guts to do it? Would I put my life on the line for Jesus? Now forget about that. Forget about Jesus asking you to die. What if Jesus is asking you to take a small step of faith? Something where you're not going to die if you do what he's asking you to do. Something that may be big in your mind. What if he asks you to do something where you don't have this feeling of warm, fuzzy peace inside? What if he's asking you to do something where you don't have this open door? Where it's clear to you what you're supposed to do? Would you do it? Or would you sit there in the trench? You see, the thing that I've been learning is that following Jesus, it's not about one decision. It's not about that very first step where you pray to God and you say, okay, God, be my Savior. You don't see that in this book. What you see are people making a thousand decisions over a course of a lifetime to follow Jesus. Big decisions, small decisions. It doesn't stop when you start to follow Him. Now, in my mind, I'm a pretty radical Christian. And I think deep down, I probably would be willing to give up my life for Christ. But it's just God's called me to live a comfortable life in West Hills. But I'm standing by ready. Are you radical in your mind? Would you be willing to do anything Christ wants you to do? But what happens? What happens when you're actually compelled to take a step of faith by the Holy Spirit? In your life, 
What happens when the theory has moved into something real? And you know that you know that Jesus is asking you to do something. Whether big or small. Do you take the step? Are you going to stay in the trench? Now, we just read the story about the rich young ruler, didn't we? I'll bet you the rich young ruler, in his mind, was radical. He thought he was doing everything right. He kept all the commandments since he was a young boy. He honored his father and mother. He never committed adultery. He didn't lie. He never murdered anybody. And he approaches Jesus. And he wants reassurance from Jesus. Right, and as he approaches Jesus, one thing to notice is that it says he falls on his knees. He comes to this position of submission and he says, Jesus, I'm kneeling before you. What is it going to take for me to have eternal life? And what does Jesus say as he's looking down on him? And he knows what he's going to say. He says, you've got to keep the commandments. And he's thinking, nailed that. God, I've kept the commandments since I was a young boy. But then Jesus does something totally unexpected. He says to that rich young ruler, as he's knelt down in a position of submission before Jesus, yeah, you've done all those things. I need you to take a step of faith. I need you to take a step of faith. I need you to give up everything that you have and follow me. Now, in that moment, as Jesus is looking at that young ruler in the eyes, everything in his life that he had done leading up to that point didn't matter. All the good works, all the keeping of the commandments, all the things he was trying to do to secure this eternal life didn't matter. What matters is, would he take that step of faith or not? It was crystal clear to him what he had to do. The God of the universe is telling him, if you want eternal life, give it all up and follow me. And I don't think this was a harsh exchange. It says Jesus looked at him and loved him. Jesus had compassion on that man. And as he's looking at Jesus, as he knew what he had to do, did Jesus open a door for him? Did Jesus line up everything so that all of his stuff would get sucked away from him? He didn't do that, did he? Did Jesus give him this warm feeling of peace inside of him to make the decision easy? He never did that, did he? You see, that man was at war with himself. His flesh was at war with his spirit. And he lost the battle. He walked away. He could have given up something and received everything. I've thought about why does the rich man walk away sad and not take this step of faith? Why do some people who are like that young, that rich young ruler on their knees before Jesus in this position of submission and it looks from the outside like they're believers never take a real step of faith? And some do. What's the difference between Paul, the Apostle Paul, who suffered and took steps of faith, 
and this rich young ruler. What's the difference between you right now and that rich young ruler? That's the question I want to address this morning. Let's look at the example from Paul. This verse of scripture we read in Acts 20, it says, Now I'm going to Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit compels me. I don't know what's going to happen to me there. I only know that in every city, the Spirit warns me. He tells me that I'll face prison and suffering. But my life means nothing to me. My only goal is to finish the race. I want to complete the work the Lord Jesus has given me. He wants me to tell others about the good news of God's grace. Now what we see here is that Paul is being compelled by the Holy Spirit. Something inside him is compelling him to set his face towards Jerusalem. And it says the only thing he knows is that in every city he's gone to, he's faced suffering and trials and he doesn't know what to expect in Jerusalem but based on past experience he knows he's going to suffer and face trials there notice how it doesn't say I'm going to Jerusalem the Holy Spirit has opened doors for me to get there he doesn't have an agenda laid out. He doesn't know what's going to happen there. He doesn't say, my face is set for, towards Jerusalem and I feel peace about that decision. No. He never says that. But he knows his next step of faith, his next step, the next thing he has to do is to go to Jerusalem where he's going to suffer. So how is he able to do that? How is he able to make a decision to suffer in the present time? In the New International Version, Verse 24, it says, My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. The task of testifying the good news of God's grace. He says his only aim, his only aim, his only aim, do you hear that? His only aim in life is to finish the race and share this gospel of grace. He's about two things, finishing the race, testifying of the good news about God's grace. You see, the difference between the rich young ruler and Paul? Paul was thinking about the future. Paul was thinking about finishing. The rich young ruler was thinking about the present. His things were stored up here. Paul's things were stored up in heaven. And he could suffer in the present. Because he's thinking about the finish. The rich young ruler was looking at what he had to give up. And what did Jesus ask him to give up to follow him? Pleasure, riches, worldly security. Now I want you to notice something. That is what most of America is going after. Riches, pleasure, security. 
You see, the rich man is like that seed that was thrown among the thorns. From the section of scripture we read in Mark, it says, Still others, like seed sown among thorns. Hear the word. Rich young ruler knew who Jesus was. This is talking to believers. But the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, the desires for other things, it comes in and it chokes the word, making it unfruitful. And I think the American dream to get a good job, to get a better house, to have a big screen TV, to have a nice 401k plan, to have a lot of money in the bank. Those desires are like weeds that choke out life in the church. It's a silent killer. There's people sitting next to you that are choking to death and you don't even realize it. One night as I'm laying in bed with one of my children said to me, Dad, when I grow up, I want to be like you. I felt pretty good. I'm doing a pretty good job raising these kids. Right? This kid wants to be like me when he grows up. I said, I want to work where you work. Makes me a little nervous because it's a tough place to work. I want to make a lot of money like you make. I want to have a big house like you have. And I want to give money to the church and care for the poor and be involved. But that American dream, somehow it had woven its way in there. Somehow I had communicated that through my actions that really my only aim, my only aim is not really to finish the race. Part of it's over here. Part of it's veering to the right. I'm somewhere in between finishing the race and going after these things. And to you who are young, to Mana, Naomi, Travis, don't set your life on seeking comfort. Don't set your life on obtaining riches. It's not what life is about. And to be honest, lately, Bonnie and I, we felt like we've been in that trench. And Jesus has been standing over the edge, taking his hand, saying, take my hand. I have this next step of faith for you to take. It's been hard. It's been difficult. Dude, I have personally felt like that rich young ruler. I read that section of scripture and it's like, whoa, how does that feel like I'm feeling? It's been so real to me. And by the way, what may seem like a huge step of faith to me may seem like something ridiculous to you. I'm just talking about me and the next step of faith I think God wants me to take. And I bet you have things where I would think that's an easy step of faith but where it's super big in your mind. Okay, let's just clear that up right now. And let me explain what this step of faith is. But first, I want to give you some background. I want to share with you some of the things that we've been learning, that we've been thinking about. And over the last several years, God has been doing something in our hearts. As I've been reading scripture, as I've had relationships with many of you in our body, I've noticed something. 
I've noticed something in scripture that I never really noticed until three or four years ago. And what I've noticed, and you may disagree with me, and I'm happy to have that debate, is that at the center of God's concern, at the very center, the people that Jesus Christ, when He came to this earth, came to focus on is the poor. Not just spiritually poor, but the poor. It's the prisoner. It's the blind. It's the hurting. It's the people who are treated badly by the rich and the powerful, by those who control things in this world. That's the center of Jesus Christ's attention. You can't get around it if you open your eyes to it. Yes, the rich are invited in. Yes, Jesus has compassion and loves sinners, rich or poor. But what I've learned is that the rich have to take a step down. The poor, he brings up. Look at Jesus' mission statement. As he walks into the temple and he starts his ministry and he opens the scroll and he reads from Isaiah, he's prophesying about him. In that moment, Jesus says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to announce good news to the poor. He has sent me to announce freedom for prisoners. He has sent me so that the blind will see again. He wants me to set free those who are treated badly. And he has sent me to announce the year when he will set his people free. That's radical. Think about that. That's why Jesus came. Good news for the poor, pre freedom for prisoners, so the blind will see again. For those who are treated badly. And I'm a rich man. I am. I make a lot of money. I'm a rich man. And when you realize this, it pulls on you. When you read the Beatitudes in Luke where Jesus says, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. And then he gives a warning right after that to the rich and says, But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Whoa! What does it look like for a rich man to follow Jesus when you know that the center of his concern is not in your sphere? Yes, he came for me. Yes, he does love me. But I'm not at the center of the table, am I? I want to give it all to him. I don't want to hold back. And based on what we've been learning, based on where we're at, Bonnie and I have felt like the Holy Spirit is compelling us to leave our house behind. To come, to move into Lanark. I feel like that's the next step that Jesus has been calling us to do. Now, that's not for everybody. I don't think everyone should move into Lanark. I don't think it's wrong to have a house. I don't think it's wrong to have nice things. The question is, do those things control you or not? And let me share just some of the reasons why. And then I want to talk to you about the difficulty. One, we want to live shoulder to shoulder in the community with those who are new to this country. Because we want to learn. We want to learn from the immigrants. 
We want to have new neighbors that we have a heart for. We want to live in the neighborhood that the church is focused on. I want to show my children life is not about comfort, seeking pleasure, getting a bigger and better house. I want to demonstrate to my rich friends that you can give up comfort, you can set aside your privilege and God's going to meet you in that. I want to live next door to Carly and Emily and Rebecca. I want to live down the hall from Manny and Melanie. I want to be near Britt and Nydia. From when he's on the floor crying in his closet, I'm just right across the hallway. And they know we're here with them. And I don't want to live with regret. I don't want to be at the end of my life and think, my aim really wasn't about the strong finish. So with all those things, why has it been so hard for us to choose to take a step down? Why have we had sleepless nights? Why have we cried so much? We're moving four minutes away. You see, Bonnie and I moved to Simi Valley. We bought a big house. Shortly after that, we realized we hate Simi Valley. So we sold our house. We rented a house in West Hills and we thought to ourselves we're going to rent for as long as we need to rent until we find the perfect house for our family. Had certain criteria. Had to have a pool. Had to have a jacuzzi. Had to have a really big lot. Had to have enough bedrooms. Had to be in the hills of West Hills. So after about a year, we found the house. We were excited. The only problem was it was two bedrooms shy of what we wanted. We have to make it the way we want to make it, right? So we hired a contractor. We added two rooms upstairs. The kitchen was too small. So we extended the kitchen out three feet. That was great. That was comfortable. Just the way we wanted it. After the construction was done, cozy my sweater here. After the construction was done, we have to redo all the tile in the entire house and redo the bathrooms. We got to make it just the way we want it. Right? And then Bonnie needed this window to look out onto the backyard so that we can watch the kids play, right? So we added the window. Feeling warm and comfortable now. It had a fireplace. Oh, I love fires. I mean, if you know me, when it dips below 70 degrees, I fire up the fireplace. Oh, I love, I love that fireplace. Fireplace is nice. Nice and comfortable here. I have a washer and a dryer. I just walked down the hall for that washer and dryer. I have a nice garage where I have a pile of stuff in there and I could fit my car in the garage. Oh, 
but yeah, this is good. I got my garage, I got my everything. I'm pretty much set. There's one thing that's missing. The landscaping. I mean, if you've been to my house, you see the dirt everywhere. Right? And you think it's because I'm cheap, because I just don't water the grass. No, I just haven't got around to it. So, we've had these landscaping plans just made recently. Getting ready to redo the entire landscaping. But I've got everything I need. But one day, Jesus comes by. And he looks over the edge of the trench. He says, Trent, what are you doing down there? I'm following you, Lord. And I told Bonnie, I am going to die in this house. I'm not moving. When I'm 85, I'm going to die in that house, hopefully. I know Bonnie would cringe when I would say that, too. And he looks over and he says, take a step of faith, come on. Grab my hand, I'm going to take you out of this trench and we're going to walk down the narrow path together. This is the next step that I have for you. And I'm saying, I don't want to. I don't want your hand. I just got the plans done. But I have these good things for you. Don't touch my plans. You see, the comfort. The things of this world sneak up on you. And you don't even know it. You don't realize that you're slowly being choked by thorns. So how do you take that next step? How do you take off all the crap? Am I allowed to say that? How do you take off all the stuff that's been building up over the years? When Jesus is sorry about that. When Jesus is asking you to take the next step. Now for you, I'm sorry to say, I don't know. What I can share about is how we found the courage to take the next step. And hopefully you can learn a little bit from that. We've had to think about our life. I had to think about what is the aim of my life? Where have I gone off that it's so hard for me to move four minutes away? We've had to think about what we're going to gain. Because we're going to gain a lot. The writer of Hebrews talks about how there's this great cloud of witnesses that are looking. And it says, run the race. Run the race to finish in the presence of all these witnesses. And that writer is talking about saints who've gone and passed away and gone before. But I'm surrounded by saints who are living and breathing who are here with me. And I've thought about your examples. It's encouraged me to hear Elvis and Ashley, how you left El Salvador, how you left this place of comfort, how you left a really good job to come here because you felt compelled by the Holy Spirit. And it's helped us to hear that it doesn't always feel good, that you're struggling through it. That encourages me. That encourages my wife. It encourages me how Manny and Melanie left Chicago to join Brit and Nydia. How Manny gave up a really good job so that they can be here. 
It encourages me, Ashley, how you stick by Brandon. How Brandon continues on as he suffers. Cosa and Christine have encouraged us by their willingness to move, come out here and be with us. You've encouraged me, Arthur, by you leaving Oxnard. Everything behind so that you can be here. Linnea, you encourage me. As you suffered alongside Kiko. And how it's increased your faith. I look at that and it encourages me. Brittany, you encourage me. How you follow after Christ. It makes me have more faith. Many others of you have encouraged me. One day, Bonnie and I were... After basketball, we were sitting in Brit Nidia's living, um, dining room a couple weeks ago. And we were still going through a pretty hard time thinking about should we do this, should we not do this. And I forget the discussion, but we asked... I think we asked Nidia about painting. Like, why don't you paint in here? And Nidia says, well, there's eight coats of paint. It's kind of junky anyway. We're not going to fix it up. And I can see Bonnie's countenance turn at that point. We go home. I'm in the living room. Naomi comes over and says, Dad, Mom's in the bedroom crying. It's hard for me to hear my wife cry. She's in there crying. I start crying. It's like, what are we doing? We're idiots. We give money away. We live in a... We use our house. We're open. Let's throw in the towel. Forget it. It sucks for you, Carly, because you had already moved into the one bedroom. But we're like, we'll just pay their rent for a whole year. We're not doing it. So we decided we're not doing it. Not doing it. I am not moving. I'm going to put my stuff back on and I'm going to be comfortable and happy. And then the next day, my own daughter, Naomi comes up to me and she says, Dad, what have you guys decided I've been praying for you guys. I've been praying that you wouldn't turn back. That you wouldn't shrink back. My own daughter is praying that we would not shrink back from this small step of faith. How could I go back after even my own daughter is praying for us? I can't go back. I can't go back. You see, what the rich young ruler missed after he walked away, Jesus tells his disciples, has anyone left home or family or fields for me and the good, for me and the good news? Listen to what Jesus says. They will receive 100 times as much in this world. Not in the next world, in this world. They will have homes and families and fields, but they will also be treated badly by others. In the world to come, they will live forever. But many who are first will be last, and the last will be first. Now, he's not saying if you give up your home, you're going to get a hundred homes. Right? Or else the rich young ruler would have been fired up, because he would have become even richer. No, what he's saying is, when you sacrifice for Jesus, when you give everything to Him, you get way more in return. Dude, I have a family here that I love. I have people here that we're willing to die for. I have something that no dollar could ever buy, ever. I have something that's going to last for eternity. That's where my aim is. That's what I want to do. Someone asked me, come on, 
how much do you have to sacrifice to follow Jesus, really? And I thought about that. How much do you have to sacrifice? Well, here's the answer. You have to be willing to sacrifice everything. Everything you have, you have to be willing to give to Him, to follow Jesus. It's clear. It's right here in the Scripture. You can talk around it. You can think around it. That's what He says. And He may not ask you to give up everything. Don't live a life where you're stuck in the trench. Don't live a life where Jesus is there looking at you with compassion and He's saying, come on, take my hand. Let's take this next step together and you never take it. Even if it's hard, even if it doesn't feel good, take His hand. Take that next step of faith. I've been reading through Luke lately. There's something that's so beautiful to me. In chapter 1 of Luke, Zachariah, who's the father of John the Baptist. And John the Baptist's job, really, his life, the purpose of his life was to declare that Jesus is coming. It's to prepare the way for the Savior and then to die by getting his head chopped off. That was the purpose of his life. That's what he was made for. And Zechariah gives this prophecy. He talks about his son and then he talks about Jesus in this prophecy. And in verse 78 of chapter 1, Luke chapter 1, verses 78. He says, Because of the tender mercy of God. God has tender mercy towards you. Whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in the darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. The sunrise shall visit us on high. Jesus Christ, He is our sunrise. He is the morning light. He is the one who drives out the darkness. He is the one who visits you and warms your face with His light. Why do we run from the sunrise? Embrace it. Follow Him. Make the hard decisions. Take a step of faith, even if it doesn't feel good. He is my sunrise. He is my morning light. Come on this journey with me. Amen. Amen. I'd like to just have my wife share just for a little bit about her side of this. So let me just pray for us. Lord Jesus, thank you for this time, God. Thank you for this body, God. God, help us to continue by faith, Jesus. Amen. Well, I don't know what I can say because I feel like Trent took all of my good stuff. <laughs> I share too much with him. <laughs> but um, I guess one of the main things that I wanted to share was that I remember um, over the years um, being in church and hearing people tell stories of what God's doing in their life. And a lot of times it's easy to dismiss it because you think, oh, well, they have this amazing faith and it's easy for them. And, and they're, you know, God has a special calling on their life and, and there's all these things you can think. Um, but... And I think a lot of it is because a lot of times people don't share the struggle that it took to get to where God brought them. And so anyway, um, yeah, it hasn't been hard. It hasn't been easy at all. Um, I think that it's hard when, you t- when God asks you to do something new and go in a different direction. Um, he reveals your heart to you 
and um, and that was a really hard thing to realize the depth that um, that my station in life had had on my heart, and um, to understand that. Um, and to feel it so deeply to where like the thought of moving and doing something to follow Christ was so difficult that I would wake up in the night, I couldn't sleep, I'd have my stomach burning, I'd be like in anxiety. Even though God has been so faithful to me since I've known him, uh, became a Christian in my 20s and he's been an amazing um, savior and friend and comforter. And then I'm in a position to trust him again. And now it's hard. And now my little world I made, I love so much that I'm not sure if it's worth it. I'm not sure if I should do it. And, uh, and so um, I just think like for all of us we're in this process we're in this process of God purifying us and sanctifying us in a hundred million little ways throughout our life and it doesn't stop though you've trusted him in the past and you've followed him that you've walked by faith those are the memories that help you do the next one but it doesn't make it easy to do the next one um and so, um, one of the things, too, I wanted to share was how, um, as we considered this, it was so important to share it with people um, in the church that were walking with us, and to have them there just to pray for us and to um, encourage us. And it wasn't like they were telling us, oh, you should do it. This is, this is the decision. Do it, do it. Follow, this is how you follow God. You should do this. They were just supporting us, sharing what they've experienced with God, um, and we're making the decision for us. Um, but it was so important to have their testimonies and to have them walk with us and to pray with us and to just admit that, you know, I can't do this unless I have you guys, unless I have the faith in God, unless I'm desperate for him. And so, um, how Trent was saying you don't have this piece of sometimes your stomach is burning you're anxious you're thinking about what you're going to give up you're thinking about how hard it's going to be to move with four kids and all this stuff and you're, you already have everything set up why, why mess with it and so um, the thing that the only thing that I have peace in um, during this is that I know Christ and I know he's faithful and even if nothing happens the way we think it is or uh, I just have no idea what he's going to do with our life or how he's going to use us or if he's going to use us where we move um, but I know I can trust him. And so that's the only peace I have. I don't know what's going to come of it. I don't know if it, why it would matter to anyone or what he could possibly use us for or how we would be, you know, used. And so I just, yeah, I just want to emphasize that sometimes God takes away everything that you trust in in the world so that you can see that um, the only peace you need is him and that you can continue on by faith um, when you know and trust that he is true and that what he says is the true life and the true treasure and I can see that not just um, in what I've experienced but because I watch it in your guys' lives as well so.